Hello, Parkview. Good to see you today. My name is Tim Suffolk. I'm one of the guys that speaks here. Tim Harlow, the senior minister, is actually in Kenya. Can you believe that? Okay. Mission trip. 95 others are with him there uh, on the ground in Kenya doing some good stuff. So uh, today it's me and you. To get started, let's, let's talk about this. Um, think about the last time you cried. The last time you cried. By show of hands, who would say that was sometime within the last year? Okay. Who would say that was sometime within the last month? Okay, who would say that was sometime within the last 24 hours, <laughs> 24 minutes? Um, how many would say, I, I, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I cried? How many, how many would say you can't remember? I mean, other than when the Vikings knocked the Bears out of the playoffs that last week of the season. Other than that, that was horrible. But, okay, hold on to that. The last time you cried, because there is a point. Welcome to the next installment of the story. And the story is an arrangement of biblical texts in such a way that helps us understand that the Bible is not just a you know, collection of sayings and, and wisdom and stories and whatever. No, no, from beginning to end, the Bible is, is one continuous story of God bringing everything back together again. God putting everything back together. How many of y'all are reading along in the book, The Story? How, how many are reading along? Okay, good. If you're not reading along, if you were and then you kind of stopped, that's okay. You can jump back in. We're on chapter 21. And maybe you never got started. Maybe you're newer around here, so you weren't around when we started doing this. That's okay, too. You can, this would be a great time to get started and read along in the story. Here, here, here's a, a, a quick recap. The quick recap goes like this. God creates the world and things are exactly as he means them to be. But then humanity, human beings, turn away from God. And when they do, just all hell breaks loose. But God doesn't give up. And so God starts putting together a special people, a people who are going to represent him to the world and a people who it's their mission to bring the world back to God. And they, they eventually become known as the, as the Israelites. But God's people have a problem. They keep falling into this particular pattern. And the pattern is God would bless them. But then they'd turn away from him and they'd get in trouble and they'd cry out to God and then God would come, come to their rescue and save them again and bless them. But then they'd do it again. They'd just turn away from him and, and they'd get in trouble and cry. This pattern just goes on and on and so God is continually calling his people to repentance because his people are on mission to save the whole world by the power of his spirit. And as we go through the story, if you, if you know the story or what we've been looking at recently in the story, recently we've seen how this pattern just keeps happening over and over and over again. And in recent chapters, we saw how God allows his people to actually be conquered by, by a couple of different foreign empires. And, and they're not just conquered. The people are, uh, the, the majority of them are exiled. They're taken away and uh, have to live in these foreign lands. So for decades and decades and decades, God's people are living in a foreign land. But then at a particular time, God prompts the, 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 the king of that foreign land. His name was Cyrus. He was the king of the Persian Empire. He, he prompts him to, to allow some of the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem. But not just to go back to their homeland, to go back, and it says to go back and rebuild the temple. 
which was a big deal. But this project, this awesome project of rebuilding the temple that had been, been broken down when the city had been destroyed, this project, as important as it was, it, it languishes. They, the, the people lose sight of what matters again. And so uh, after 16 years, God sends two prophets, a guy by the name of Haggai and another guy by the name of Zechariah. And these two guys ignite this spiritual revival to get the job done, and the temple is rebuilt. Here's a picture of what that temple uh, might have looked like. And I go to the trouble of showing you a picture because to understand the story, you've got to understand the temple. Because the temple was not just a temple, it was the temple. It wasn't just a temple, it was the, the temple. In fact, turn to somebody near you and look at them and say, oh, it wasn't just a temple, it was the temple. Go ahead, help somebody near you. It wasn't just a temple, it was the temple. It wasn't just a, it was the. I'm not kidding, this really matters. It wasn't just a temple, it wasn't just a temple, what was it? Very good, sharp crowd. It was, it was the temple. And the temple mattered so much because the temple was the place where the special concentrated presence of God himself uh, dwelt in this, in this part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. In there was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a, this incredible box thing that had the Ten Commandments in it. You know, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, all that stuff. And, and, and this, this is the, the, the temple is the center of the lives of the people through whom God is calling the world back to him. Okay, the temple is, is, is where the sacrifices happen so that their sins are forgiven. The temple is crucial. You cannot understand the story without understanding the temple. All right? So what do you need to understand? The temple. Very good. All right. So the temple gets rebuilt. Then in chapter 21 of the story, we read about this second wave of Israelites who goes back to Jerusalem from Persia. And this second wave is led by a guy named Ezra. But when Ezra gets back to, to Judah and to Jerusalem and, and he finds uh, something he didn't expect to find. I mean, even though the temple has been rebuilt, the people once again have gotten back in that pattern. They've, they, they've turned away from God. So once again, God uses uh, Ezra. He uses Ezra to, to call them to repentance. And they return to God once again. Okay, now here's the main part of the story we're looking at today. The main part of the story we're looking at today is when this group of people comes from Jerusalem. They go from Jerusalem back to Persia with some news. And they share this news with an Israelite guy who's still living in Persia by the name of Nehemiah. Somebody say Nehemiah. 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 Very good. Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is not just an Israelite. He, he, he's, a, he's an important official who works for the king of the Persian Empire whose name is Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes is the son of the guy that we talked about last weekend who married Esther. If you saw the movie The 300, how many saw the movie The 300? Obviously not a chick flick. If you saw the movie The 300, you know that the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae battled the, 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 the armies of the king of Persia and the armies of the king of Persia during, for the, for, in that movie. And in history was this guy right here, which is Xerxes, all right? That's King Xerxes. Nehemiah works for Artaxerxes. So Artaxerxes is King Xerxes' son. Artaxerxes is like Xerxes Jr., Okay. So Nehemiah is working for Xerxes Jr. as, as his cupbearer. Now, cupbearer may not sound like a very important, you know, well, he just carries a cup. It's, it's an important job because the cupbearer's job was to, was to sample the, the king's food and beverages before the king did. And that sounds like not only an important job, it sounds like a pretty good job, doesn't it? 
What do you do for a living? Well, I sample the finest food and drink in all, in all the land. But it was a super important job because in those days, the number one way to assassinate a king was to, to, to poison his food or especially his drink, his, his wine. And so um, what Nehemiah did as his cupbearer, Nehemiah was the guy that the king trusted to not ever put anything in his drink and also was the guy who would put his life on the line by sampling everything in case somebody else had put in it. And basically it worked like this, you know. If uh, before the king would eat or drink or anything, he'd look over at Nehemiah, right? And if Nehemiah was like going, mm, yeah, mm, mm, go for it, then, you know, Xerxes Jr. would go for it. But if he looks over at Nehemiah and Nehemiah's like, then he, wouldn't, then he wouldn't do it. And he would say, I'll pass on that. He, you know, Nehemiah did, did for, for, for Xerxes Jr. You know, the kind of stuff that Bill Brown does for Tim Harlow. You, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so anyways, Nehemiah. Somebody say Nehemiah. Thank you. Nehemiah gets news from Jerusalem. And here's the news that he gets. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. While I was in the citadel, the citadel is like the palace. While I was in the citadel, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah. Judah is, is, is a province of the Persian Empire which contains the, the, with the capital city of Jerusalem in it. I uh, came from Judah with some other men and they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates, the, the gates of the wall, have been burned with fire. Now, Nehemiah's story and Ezra's story revolves all around this wall, the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And we might not get the importance of this, but in those days, a city's wall was a really big deal because uh, the wall is what kept the city safe from marauders and invaders. So really, if you weren't safe, nothing could go that well in the city for very long because it didn't have its protection. When you think about the wall around a, a city, think about like kind of the wall around a castle. Because when a city had a good wall around it, well, what happened is if, if there was danger, then everybody from the surrounding area could run inside the city and the gates are real important because then they'd shut the gates and everybody would be safe in there because it, like it, it made the city like a fortress. In fact, it was so important in those days, there was a saying, as goes the wall... So goes the city. All right? The wall's really important. And, and the story of Nehemiah, if you read it, is a, is a tremendous story. He's somebody that, that, that God leverages and utilizes his position of influence in the Persian Empire to take a group of people, a third wave, back to, to, to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and, re, and they rebuild the wall. And, it, and it's not something that just happens. It's not like everything just falls into place real smoothly. There is all, I'd encourage you to read it in the Bible. There's all sorts of intrigue and there's, there's opposition and there's enemies on all, all sides trying to keep the wall from being rebuilt. But Nehemiah, he's this awesome guy that shows just incredible determination and creativity and uh, just real brilliance as a leader in getting the wall rebuilt. And despite all the obstacles, the wall around the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah led in it being rebuilt in 52 days. Think about that. A wall all the way around a city being built in 52 days. It took longer than that to get a contractor to put a bathroom in our basement. Man, and they get the whole wall rebuilt in 52 days? 
wow, things are going good under uh, God's, for God's people under Nehemiah's leadership. But there's, and there's all sorts of things, at least at this point. There's all sorts of things I could focus on in this story of Nehemiah today, but I really want to zero in on just one. I want to talk to you about the part of Nehemiah's story and the part of the story that, that really just grabs me. And I hope, I hope in, a, in a good way, it'll grab you too. And the part of Nehemiah's story, you're building the walls, is the part that I, it, the very, very first thing that Nehemiah does when he hears that the walls are broken down and, and, and there's no gates and, and things are bad. This is from Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Nehemiah is speaking and he says, When I heard these things, when I got this news, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, do you get the picture here? Nehemiah doesn't just tear up a little bit. He, he's just broken down. He just busts, down, just busts out crying. I mean, he is not just upset. He is, he, he is tore up from the floor up about this. Now, now, why is that? Why is Nehemiah so broken up about the wall? I mean, just think about it. Nehemiah, he, he's never even been to Jerusalem. He, he's born as an exile. He's born in, uh, in, in Persia. And even though that's where his ancestors are from, you know, what is it? I mean, this is his, this is his home country. Is Nehemiah crying because he's like super patriotic? I mean, does he have a, a, a bumper sticker that says, you know, I heart Jerusalem or something? I, I, I don't know. I mean, why, why is he so upset? I mean, he is completely emotionally devastated. Well, well here's, here's, here's why I think it is. Jerusalem wasn't just the capital of Nehemiah's homeland. It was the place where, any guesses? The temple. It's the place where the temple was. And as we said just a few minutes ago, the temple wasn't just a temple. What was it? It was the temple. And the temple was the center of, of what God was doing at that time to bring the world back to him. So it wasn't just the city that was without protection and the city that was in bad shape and the people. It was the temple. And there was nothing like the temple in the whole world. And so when, when, when Nehemiah is busted up about this, what he's busted up about is the things of God. But there's something else, though, that's kind of puzzling about Nehemiah being all torn up about this like he was. Something I didn't tell you, that it actually isn't super clear in the text. You've got to do a little digging uh, and, and, and looking in the commentaries to see what, what uh, in the scholarship on this. The walls had actually been down. Jerusalem had been without walls as a city for over a hundred years. The walls had been down since before Nehemiah was ever born. He's all broken up about something that happened before he was ever born? I mean, what's going on with this guy? I mean, some like to suggest that this is the first time he'd ever heard that this had happened. But you know what? That, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense to me because Nehemiah, as we said, he's an important official in, in an in a empire, in a, in, a, in, a, in a worldwide empire that was actually in dominion over that part. So he knew what's going on in the world. He knew this. But how's come when he hears it this time, 
it just breaks his heart. Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think when he got this news, it's when he went from, from, from knowing to, to, to feeling. He went from I know to I know. Because sometimes the longest trip a person ever takes is from I know to I know. You know? Maybe you've had this experience. Here's how it happened for me one time. When, when Hurricane Katrina hit some years back, I knew. I knew it was horrible. I, I watched the news just like you did. I read the papers. I, I, saw, the, I saw images on the Internet. I, I, I knew that it was, in my understanding, the worst natural disaster that's ever hit uh, our country. I knew that. I knew there was terrible suffering in, in that area. I knew it. But it wasn't till a year later, that it, oh, a little over a year later, that it actually hit me. It was a year later, and it was Monday Night Football. And the uh, New Orleans Saints were playing the Atlanta Falcons in the Superdome. Very first ball game to be played uh, in the New Orleans Superdome after, uh, you know, post-Katrina. And before the game, you know, I was all juiced up for, the, for the, watch, watching the game. I love Monday Night Football. And, and I, but before the game, they're showing all of these interviews and all these pictures and all these images of, of what Hurricane Katrina did to the New Orleans area and what it still looked like. And they put, up, they put up this picture. And I said, you know, it's still like that. And it's when I saw those pictures that I went from I know to I know. You know? I went from I know to I know. I went from I, I, I'm aware to, to I feel it. I'm positive this is what happened for Nehemiah. He goes from knowing it to feeling it. He goes from I know to I know. And Personally, I, I think this is probably the first time he's ever talked to anybody who's actually been to Jerusalem and seen it firsthand. I think this is the first time that somebody he's close to personally gives him an eyewitness account of it. And that, and that sort of breaks through whatever barrier was between knowing and knowing for him. And, and I also ha have a suspicion that even though Nehemiah was a person, he, he, he was one of the people of God, he'd been a person of faith his whole life. I think something's going on in his life right now spiritually, to where things affect him in ways that are different than they used to. Maybe some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, maybe you've believed in God all your life. Maybe what you believe has not really changed, but things are, are starting to get different. Stuff is starting to bother you that didn't bother you before. Stuff's starting to interest you that didn't interest you before. And it's not that you're, you didn't used to believe in it. No, no, you, you, no but... But things are different. Things are different in your heart. And I think that's what's going on with Nehemiah. And the reason I'm focusing in on this part where Nehemiah finds out what's going on with the things of God and his heart just breaks. Nehemiah's greatness as a person, the person through whom God does this remarkable thing of rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem, around the temple in 52 days... All of that began. It didn't begin with his with, you know, incredible charisma or talent on his part or whatever. It began right here. It began with a heart that broke for the things of God. Now, what's this got to do with you and me? 
Good question. Thanks for asking. Here's where I'm going with this. In the past 10 to 15 years, I really believe that we know more about the shape our world is in than we ever have before. With the proliferation of, of media sources and especially with the internet being everywhere and on our phones and, and, you know, and in our cars and every, everywhere and, and we're, you know, and all they call it, you know, 24 news cycle, 24 hour news cycle where man, when, when it happens, you know it and you know it right away and you see images. I, I think we know more about the shape our world is in than we've ever known before. We know more about things like genocide in Rwanda and Myanmar and we, we know more about things like starvation in places like the Sudan and, and Kenya where, where, Parkview's team is this week. Um, we, we know more about children who are stuck in sex trafficking in Southeast Asia and right here in Chicagoland too. We know more, we see more than we ever have before and we hear more and, and, and I, I think we know so much about how, how, how bad shape uh, so many people are in the world. I think we know that it kind of keeps us from knowing. I think we know so much that we're just constantly knowing and refreshing our memory and doing it and refreshing and, 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 and it keeps us from feeling it. And then on top of it, I think this, this thing of being, always being bombarded by these visual images of, of, of starving children and, and horrible natural disasters and things like that, uh, we, are, we are bombarded by so many images of exploitation and, and, and injustice and, and tragedy. I think that it makes us unaware of equally great tragedy that isn't so easily seen and see if this makes sense and I fully expect a lot of folks to not agree with me on this but I'm going to say it anyways I really believe that if there's someone where I live where I work that I know who doesn't know the grace of God in Jesus who has not come into a personal relationship with him. I believe that is a tragedy that is on par, if not greater, than the tragedy of somebody starving. I know some people that say that that's offensive. Well, maybe it is. I understand. Maybe it is. And, I, and, I, and I don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that that person feels the same trauma and pain of somebody who's starving in that moment. I'm just saying in the big picture of things, starvation is an, is an awful, horrible thing that is not, not God's will for anybody. But neither is it God's will. The Bible is clear that God is not willing that anyone should perish. Don't let anybody tell you that, that it's okay with God that some people don't find their way back to Him. That's not okay with God. That breaks His heart. That busts Him up. And I think we see so much of, you know, where, where it's so clear that this person is suffering and so clear that this person or this area of the world is hurting that, that there's people all around us. I'm speaking to Christ followers right now. That there's people all around us in our neighborhoods and in our, and, and, and where we work and in, and in our schools if we're students that, 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 are in, that are in as desperate shape spiritually. I mean, let, come on now. Let's just say it. Heaven's for real. Hell is for real, and the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being is to, is to die and face a Christless eternity. There is no tragedy that can befall a person that's greater than that, and there is nothing in all the universe that breaks God's heart more than that. 
friend of mine was at a pastor's conference a few months ago and in one of the breakout sessions, they were doing this kind of skill training on how to equip the people in your church for, for uh, uh, you know, personal evangelism. How do you, how do you train people in the church so that, they can, so that they can convincingly and authentically communicate their faith to somebody else? And so it's this very skill-oriented thing. And in the middle of this very skill-oriented workout, workshop, breakout session kind of thing, this, a guy in the back just blurts out, says to everybody in the room, he says, Does your heart break for your city? My friend told me you could have heard a pin drop in that room full of pastors. And then the guy went on to talk about Seattle and how Seattle is perhaps the, 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 the most unchurched major city in the United States where apparently from all the research that we have that, that maybe, maybe a maximum of 3% of the population of Seattle has a, has a clear connection that means something to them with who Jesus is. And he was talking about how he's been in Seattle and, and he'd been, but how lately God was breaking his heart and how he couldn't drive around town without just being overwhelmed by going, man, it just, it's such a beautiful place and people seem to be doing so well and Seattle's cool. I've been to Seattle. Seattle's so cool. But, but, this, but at the same time, he's going, and he says, but as I drive around Seattle, I, I love Seattle. He says, my heart's just broken for Seattle. Work with me on something. What I want you to do is I'm going to count to three, and then I want you to say the name of the place that you live out loud. Okay? So uh, after I count to three, say the name of your city or suburb that you live in. Okay? This is going to work. Work with me on this. Uh, after I count to three. Ready? Everybody out loud. One, two, three. <laughs> that just, you know, up here, that just sounded, thank you, by the way, but up here, that just sounded like, it didn't really sound like anything, but, it, but, but think, about, think about that place you just said as you drive through that place on your way to work, on your way to school, on your way to the store, on your way to the mall, on your way to movies. I know you can't tell just by looking, but does it ever break your heart that there's people all around you who don't know the Lord? I mean, in, in your subdivision. Think about it. Like if, if, if you live in a subdivision. I, I know you don't always know, but sometimes you have a pretty good idea. And I'm not encouraging anybody to judge anybody. You know that's not what we're about here. But we're just saying, you know, the, the odds are, yeah, as far as I know. And does it ever break your heart? Does it ever just bust you up inside? I'd love to stand up here in front of you and tell you it does me. But I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, that, first of all, that's a really bad idea for a pastor to be lying in church. But I'm a, I, I live in Naperville. And Naperville's a, a, a city of 140-some-odd thousand people. And the research that I've seen suggests that, that at least 70% of the place where I live is uh, people who don't have any real connection with the Lord. And um, I'd like to say that as I got in my car and drove down here this morning and drove through town and you know, out 75th and on 355 and down here, I'd like to say that my heart was just broken for my city. But it wasn't. And I'm preaching on this. And uh, I'll tell you why. It's not because I'm a bad person. I don't, at least I hope not. I think it's because my heart's just too 
preoccupied. My heart's too preoccupied with me. Me and my. Me and how it goes. Preoccupied with me and my family. Preoccupied with me and my job. Me and, 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 and my household. Me and, and, and my finances. Me and, and, and my problems. My heart is so preoccupied with me and my that there's really just no way in that state it could break for the things of God. But I'm going to tell you something. Wonderful things can happen when a person opens their heart and says, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. My favorite story along this, by, by far, along these lines. World Vision. How many of y'all have heard of World Vision? Yeah, World Vision, very, very famous, very, very um, uh, impactful uh, international organization. World Vision's on six continents in uh, nearly 100 countries. They're... Uh, uh, serving the needs of over 3 million children who are starving and, and suffering from HIV, even as we speak. Incredible. But, H- but, 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 but all that stuff. But World Vision didn't start as with, with some person or some group with a grand plan and billions of dollars and you know, business that and you know, infrastructure that. No, no. World Vision began back in the 1950s in Korea with one guy. One guy who was in Korea and, and, and was faced with the, with the plight and the suffering of orphans there, many of whom had lost their parents in the Korean conflict. His name is Bob Pierce. There's a picture of Bob. And he prayed a prayer. Maybe you heard it before. He prayed, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. He prayed it, and he meant it, and God said yes to that prayer, and his heart started to break for the the orphans in Korea, and he prayed that prayer, and he kept praying that prayer, and he came back to our country, and he started encouraging his, his, his friends and people that he knew to pray that prayer, and they all came together and started working on becoming this organization that's now called World Vision, and it all began when one person said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Here's the point. Are you ready? I don't know what you're going through. Few people in the room I know, most of y'all I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. I'm sure there's a lot of folks here today who are going through a lot of things that are really hard. And, you're, and, you're, and your heart is preoccupied with all sorts of heartbreak of things that have to go on with you. It, 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 it's not that that doesn't matter. It's that this morning when we're talking about repentance, I know what you, you can say for you, but I'll say for me, what I need to repent of is the preoccupation of my own heart with me and mine. That's what I need to repent of. Not just because it's wrong, but because I want to live a life like Nehemiah. I want to be a person through whom God does important things for the things of God. Not because they're important, but because they matter to God. And because people matter to God. All people. And I want my heart to break for my city because I want want my heart to break for people who don't know the Lord in in the subdivision that I live in because I want to be somebody who knows Him and and loves Him. And when you know somebody and love somebody, you care about the stuff that they care about. And so I challenge you today, even as I challenge myself, to one simple prayer. 
let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And, and for Nehemiah, when he prayed that, it changed everything. Because it's what gave him the courage to go to the king and ask for the king's help and support in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Look what Nehemiah says to 1 and 2. Stick with me on this. Look what happens. It says, when wine was brought for him, this is Nehemiah, um, when, when the wine was brought for, for, his, for his boss, Artaxerxes, I took the wine and gave it to him. I had not been sad. Remember, he was all broken up about this. He says, I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? And then the king says, this can be nothing but sadness of heart, like despair. And, uh, and, then, and Nehemiah says, editorially, I was very much afraid. Why is Nehemiah afraid? A minute ago, he's brokenhearted and now he's afraid well because see he wants to ask the king for the king's support to make this happen but you weren't allowed to do that you weren't allowed to approach the king unless he asked you to approach him you weren't allowed to ask something of him you weren't allowed to ask a favor of him unless he said is there something you'd like to ask of me if if you did and it was unwelcome you could be executed this is why Nehemiah was so afraid. But then look what happens next. So he's afraid. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Here I go. Then he says, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what is it you want? And look what it says. It says, then I pray to the God of heaven. <laughs> I think what he said was going, thank you, Lord, that he didn't chop off my head. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah so that I can rebuild it. And he did. Friends, we've got to understand something. God does not want us to be people who, who, who simply come to faith in him so that we can be forgiven and so that we can go to heaven. That is, that's so crucial, and it can be true for anybody who wants to receive that through faith in Jesus. But, but, that, but, that's not, that, but that is not God's end game. It's so that we can have lives of impact that, that, that help bring this whole world back to Him. I mean, and this church, Parkview, has, has so many talented people and so many hardworking people and so many dedicated people and, 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 and so many difference-making people. But over the long haul, what's going to make the difference in the impact of this church is going to be whether this church is crammed full with people who, whose hearts are broken with the things that break the heart of God. May our hearts be broken for the impoverished. May our hearts be broken for the starving. May our hearts be broken for the exploited and the abused and the addicted. And may our hearts be broken for those who don't know the grace of God in Jesus. Break our hearts, Lord. Break our hearts. Let's pray. God help us. It's hard. It's hard not to be preoccupied. I pray for anybody who couldn't even hear this this morning because they're hurting so bad. But God... We don't want to just receive from you. We want you to change the world through us. And so we pray 
as earnestly as we know how. Let our hearts be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And we pray for those whose hearts are breaking today that that all can know that there is hope and there is healing and there is salvation in the name of Jesus.